Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com or by clicking the Share Your Story tab on the Church Center app. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that by clicking on the giving link located in the description of this video online at fellowshipgj.com or if you're a member here at Fellowship Church, you can give through our Church Center app. This will help us continue to bring this message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy today's service. Good morning, Fellowship Church. How are we doing this morning? How many of you know God is faithful? He's faithful to the end. Even before you know the outcome of a circumstance, He knows and He has got your back. Amen. Come on, let's just give God a big praise, a big shout out for you. Yeah. Nothing can stand against the power. 
Man, our God has been faithful through every battle, amen. You know, we, we read about and we hear about these stories from the Bible of heroes big and small. And what I think is so cool about each and every story is their willingness to say yes. When God called them to something, no matter if they felt ill-equipped, if they felt like they didn't have the favor, if it was too scary or if it was too big, they didn't have a voice, they said yes, and God gave them everything that they needed. And so I just felt it really heavy in my spirit today to just pose that question. What is God asking from you? What has he been calling you to that has felt a little, a little unnerving, a little scary, that he's just asking you to say yes, a simple, simple yes, and he'll take care of the rest. And maybe there's some of you in this room that have never asked that question of God, what, what do you want for my life? What do you want for me in this season? I encourage you to do that too, because he will absolutely blow your mind. He is so, so good. He has plans and hope and a future for you, for your family, for generations to come. Like he's got you. So let's just open up our hearts. Let's open up everything to him as we sing this together.
Well, to be honest, God, that's the reason we came. We wanted to come to where you were. We want to worship you. We want to be in your presence. We want to know that with all the junk and the stuff that happened to us in the last week, that, that there's a place we can come and we can lay it all at your feet. And that's what we do right now. All the worries, all the fears, all the question marks, all the burdens, we place them at your feet. Because we know not only are you in this place, but you love us and you care about the things that we're going through. And so we lay them at your feet and we say, help us. Help us, Father. Help us with our financial worries. Help us with our relational worries. Help us with the health that we need in our bodies. Help us with the stuff that we have going on in our lives. You're the only one that we can come to. Thank you that you meet us. Meet us here every time. Just want you to know that we really love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, church family. If you would, turn and greet one another and then make your way to your seats. And if you're watching us online, we're so glad you're here as well. Thanks for joining us. If you would, place in the chat where you're watching from, what you're up to this weekend. We're just so glad that you took time out of your schedule to join us online. Well, if you consider yourself a guest or a visitor at Fellowship Church, we're so glad you're here. If you would, you can let us know that you're visiting by stopping by the information counter. Or if you want to be all cool and tech savvy, all you have to do is pull out your device and text the word fellowship to the number 94,000. And what that'll do is that'll send you through a series of prompts and, and you'll ask a couple, or be asked a couple easy questions. And that will help us connect with you, get to know you, and um, find out how Fellowship church can better serve you and your families, but we just love for you to do that. Also, if you've been coming for a while and you think, wow, I feel like I'm kind of a little bit stuck in my growth with God. I just haven't been growing as much as I would want to. That's really important to us. And so we have in our lobby on the East Pergola, we have a booth that's called our Next Step booths. And the idea here is you stop by from time to time and you say, hey, wait a sec. I feel like maybe I'm not growing in my faith as much as I should. And they'll ask you a few questions. They'll listen to your story. And then they'll coach you as to what might be a great next step for you to take in your faith. And they'll give you some suggestions of how to become more involved so that growth can begin happening again for you. But just kind of anytime at that East Pergola, they're there for you and they would love to coach you through that. Now, um, behind me on the side screens is about to magically pop up all the different ways that you can get involved in the giving here at Fellowship. You can um, use your church center app. That's the easiest way. It takes about 30 seconds to set up the first time, and then after that, it's like five seconds every time. You can text tithe. You can mail stuff. You can use the offering drop boxes, whatever you want. You can read that in your leisure time while I talk about other things. Um, but I remember the very first time that I went to Big Church. That's what it was called to come to the Adult Worship Center. And um, I had been going to youth group, but now I was going to Big Church. And that Sunday morning, the entire sermon was about giving, not just the little offering talk. And I thought, well, this is pointless because I'm 15 and I have $5. So that you guys don't care about my money. And the more I listened to the pastor, quite frankly, I thought he sounded like an infomercial. Like he was talking about all the promises that God made that if I would just give 10% and of my $5, that was 50 cents, I thought, well, that sounds almost too good to be true, that you're gonna, that God's gonna miraculously open up the windows of heaven and let 
you know, all this stuff rained down in my life. And I thought, I, I don't really know if that's really going to work out for me. But I listened to the spiel, and at the end of the service, he passed out these cards, and it was like a perforated thing, and on the top were a bunch of the Bible verses that he'd used throughout to show how God blesses when we give. And then on the bottom was this commitment form. And he sort of threw out the challenge. He said, if you will fill this out and you will commit to tithing, which means giving the first 10% of everything, all the money you receive, giving that first 10% to our church, to the local church, then if you use a tithe envelope, if at the end of one year you feel like God didn't open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings, we will refund you every penny you've given. And I thought to myself as a 15-year-old businessman, you know, I was like, okay, okay, so there's like no risk to this at all, right? So I can give my money, and if his God doesn't come through for me, then they're just like going to give me all my money back. So I thought, Wow, okay, uh, I guess I'll sign the form. But I wasn't using my faith. I was using my pastor's faith because I didn't really think it would work out. But I was like, hey, it's a savings account, right? Like, what could go wrong? So I signed the form. I turned it in. I put in my 50 cents. And I decided, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this because you have to do it every week. It has to be first 10%. has to be the whole amount. That's what the Bible verse here says. So I'm going to do it. And I love Jesus at this time in my life, and it mattered to me to follow the word. So I was doing the right stuff. In a few months, it became so apparent to me at age 15 that God was really doing what he said in his word. He really had opened the windows of heaven. He really had begun pouring blessings out on my life that I was convinced. And so I took my little card that was, you know, my guaranteed refund card, and I brought it to the pastor. And I said, hey, um, I don't need this anymore because I already know that God is blessing me like the Bible verse says, so I don't need your little refund. And I gave it back to him, and he was just kind of stared at me and scratched his head, and he did that a lot. I was kind of one of those difficult kids. Um, I think he's proud of me now, if I really was honest. But um, I gave it back to him because in that moment, I realized I believe that it's not a sales pitch. I believe that God is going to open the windows of heaven in my life, and he is going to pour out those blessings. And if I were to ask for a show of hands in this room of people that have experienced that same thing in their life, that are confident that God literally is pouring out blessings into their life so much that they can't contain, there would, there would be a lot of hands. So if you've never tried this idea of tithing, the first 10% of everything you get, I want to challenge you, take the risk. I'll admit that my 15-year-old self was very skeptical but here I am, and I'm really confident in it, and I hope you will become so too. So let's pray together. God, thanks that you put up with us when we're not full of faith in some areas of our lives and that you help us increase our faith. And I pray for each one of us that you would do that, that you would increase our faith to that next level and help us to be even more confident that you're going to do what you said you're going to do in, our, in your word. And God, there are people in this room that are giving their money this morning in faith, believing and wondering how you're going to make the miracle work for them this week. And I pray that they would find out that you're going to do something super cool and that you would bless and pour out resources that our stuff would last longer, wouldn't break down, we wouldn't have to replace it, that we would just have an abundance because you're a good God. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there's always cool stuff happening. Let's see what's up this week. I know that many of you have been patiently waiting for our next spiritual warfare class, and I have great news. It's coming up on February 10th and 11th. It's a Friday night and Saturday. 
The cost is $40 and it covers the needed materials and lunch on Saturday. Spiritual warfare completely changed my life. There was a season of my life that I was completely crippled by fear. And after taking spiritual warfare and going through deliverance, I am now set free from fear and know how to combat fear when it comes. If you want freedom from the enemy's attacks and for the trials that inevitably come, sign up for this class. When I say it's life-changing, I mean it's life-changing. One of my favorite Sundays is coming up on February 12th. This is our Baptism Sunday, and it happens in between services in 4640. If you are ready to make your faith in Jesus public, sign up on the Church Center app. Once you have registered, you will get a confirmation email asking you to fill out one more quick form. This will help us with the registration process. Thank you so much. This is your save the date for Camp 4640. The dates are May 25th through May 28th for students going into 7th through 12th grade. If you are planning any vacations this summer with your kids, plan around this amazing time for them to encounter Jesus. There is something so unique and unforgettable about getting away to the mountains to worship God. There will be five incredibly impactful services along with tons of fun. Don't miss it. As your nursery pastor, I love getting to see your kids every week. We continue to need volunteers who are passionate about working with kids with special needs. We know that some of you out there have a call on your life to do this, and we need you. Please sign up on the Church Center app or come talk to me back in the nursery. Please enjoy our new series that we are starting today called Unsung Heroes of the Bible. Out of the shadows, bound for the gallows, a dead man walking till love came calling. Rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up. Six feet under, I thought it was over. And answer to prayer, the voice of a savior. Rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up. Rise up. 
Unsung, and I'm so glad you're here to be a part of it. Now, Unsung is about the stories in the Bible maybe that you haven't heard of, but heroes nonetheless. And a lot of times I think when we grow up and, and we go through Sunday school and we maybe read the Bible, we, we read the, the, the stories that, that everybody's heard about, right? We, we read those, but sometimes we miss the stories that can kind of slip through the cracks, but they're so powerful. And so for the next few weeks, we want to make sure that we're pointing some of these out. And I hope over the next few weeks, one of the things that it does is it inspires you to really read the Word of God. Because sometimes when we're reading about these unsung stories and unsung heroes in the Bible, we go, I have no idea that that was in there. And this morning is my favorite story, unsung hero story in the Bible, and that is of Esther. Her story is incredible. They made a major motion picture about it. But as we look at these, and as we look at these each week, we're going to be spending a lot of time reading the scripture, but we also want to make sure that you know where we're at in the timeline. For me, like I said last week when I was uh, doing the announcement for this series, thinking chronologically and going through the scripture chronologically is super important. I want to make sure that I know like, what, what happens in, in certain time frames of scripture. And with Esther, this happens a little later in the Old Testament. So this is long after Adam and Eve and, and Noah and then Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. It, it, it's after uh, the time of the kings and, and when the children of Israel moved into Israel. So it's after Saul and David and Solomon. But what happens after Solomon is the kingdom just falls into disarray. It divides up and, and there's a northern kingdom and there's a southern kingdom and they start having a lot of issues because they stopped listening to God. And as a result, God would warn them and then he would bring judgment upon them. And he'd say, if you don't change, you know, some bad things are going to happen. And they never changed. 
And so you remember the first thing that happens as a result is uh, the northern kingdom of Israel gets taken into captivity from Babylon. And those are the stories of the scripture that talks about uh, Daniel and the lion's den and as well as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's when Nebuchadnezzar takes the, the exiled uh, uh, Israelis into captivity. Well, no empire ever stands forever. Babylon is eventually defeated by Persia. And when Persia defeats Babylon, they take all their land as well as all their resources. So all of these exiled Hebrews that were brought to Babylon now become Persians or they're under Persian rule. And that's where we pick up in the passage of scripture starting in Esther chapter one. Now this particular chapter tells of a great banquet that Xerxes is throwing before he goes off to war with Greece. Xerxes was the king of Persia. And this particular story of, of him going off and battling Greece has been de depicted in several modern films as well. But as he's sitting at this, at this party and he's getting ready to entertain his guests, one of the things that he wants to do is he wants to bring his wife in. Now, Vashti was beautiful. That was her name, Vashti. She was gorgeous. And he wanted to kind of parade her around to show her beauty, to show what he had in this beautiful wife. Well, Vashti didn't go for it. She didn't like that. She didn't like to be a trophy. She didn't like to be paraded around. So she told him, no, I'm not coming. You don't tell a, the king of Persia no for anything. And as a result, he is super upset to the point where he says, okay, if you're not going to listen to me, then I'm not going to be married to you anymore. And he divorces her. Well, about four years goes by, uh, uh, Xerxes goes away. He, he fights Greece. He loses the battle. He comes home. And this is where we pick up in Esther chapter two. But after Xerxes' anger had subsided, he began thinking about Vashti and what she had done and the decree that he had made. Well, the decree he'd made was he wasn't gonna be married to her anymore. So his personal attendants suggested, let us search the empire to find a beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint agents in each province to bring these beautiful young women into the royal harem at the fortress of Susa. After that, verse four, young women who most the young woman who most pleases the king will be made queen instead of Vashti. This advice was very appealing to the king. You think? You think that was appealing to the king? Been away for four years. He comes back. His aides come and say, hey, we're gonna go all across the country, all, all across your kingdom, and we're gonna have a Miss Persia beauty pageant. And, and, and whoever wins that beauty pageant gets to be your wife. At that time, there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa whose name was Mordecai, verse six. His family had been among those who with, the king, with, the, with king Jehoiachin of Judah had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. Now, if you remember from the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when, when people were pulled into exile, they were given Persian or Babylonian names. So her Hebrew name was Hadassah, but her Persian or Babylonian name was Esther. With her father and mother, uh, when her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. As a result of king's the king's degree, Esther, along with many other young women, were brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. 
Haggai was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. He quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments. He also assigned her seven maids specially chosen from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. So already Esther had this favor of God upon her. And this guy comes along with some influence, with some authority, and he gives her a spa day. I mean, like the ultimate spa day that lasts day after day after day. And then he gives her seven servants because she is so blessed. And he, he wants to make sure that Esther is taken care of. Verse 10, Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and family background because Mordecai had directed her not to do so. So she didn't tell anybody when she was chosen that she was an exile, that she was a Hebrew. She kept that to herself. Esther chapter two, verse 16 Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in early winter of the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. So God had taken this young Hebrew woman and anointed her queen over the Persian empire. Chapter three, sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman. So there's this guy, Haman, that comes on the scene, son of Hamadatha the Agite. So if you're, an, if, if you're the son of Hamadatha and you're an Agite, you're the bad guy. It's just no doubt that that name is bad enough already. And so he was given this authority all th over all the nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. All the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by. For so the king had commanded. But Mordecai, okay, this is the adopted father of Esther. This is Esther's cousin. But Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. Now, Haman was an Amalekite. And when you look at the history between Israel and the Amalekites, it goes back several hundred years. In fact, when Joshua went into the promised land and he brought the children of Israel with him, God said, I want you to destroy everybody, but I especially want you to destroy the Amalekites. These guys are evil people. They are wicked core to core. I want you to wipe them out complete, completely. Well, Israel, as they were many times in their history, was not, were not totally obedient. They only listened to about half of what God said, and they didn't kill all the Amalekites. And as a result, they're still suffering from it hundreds of years later. Now, Mordecai sees Haman as the enemy and he refuses to show him respect, not to mention the fact that they were not supposed to bow to any other God. They're breaking the 10 commandments if they're bowing to a person or they're bowing to anything besides the Lord. So he just doesn't do it. Verse five, when Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned from Mordecai's he had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. The devil, through history, has tried over and over again to wipe out the Jewish race. Once again, he's doing that through Haman. Now, we know that that happens and the devil attacks that way because the Jews are God's chosen people. But pre-New Testament, what the devil was trying to do was wipe out any chance for a Messiah. He wanted to wipe out the lineage of Jesus. He wanted to make sure that no Jews lived. So he used Haman to try to take them out. Now, Haman was doing it to destroy the people that had been enemies with the Amalekites for hundreds of years. 
But there were a lot more things happening happening behind the scenes spiritually that were much, much more diabolical. Now, when Mordecai finds this out, he finds out that his actions have basically given his race a death sentence. It just blows him away. He's thought to himself, well, you know, what have I done? I mean, that would be like us not bowing to our vice president and she putting to death everyone in our nationality. So Mordecai sends a message to Esther explaining the situation and asks for her to go to the king for help. Go to your husband for help. And she replies to him, all the kings in verse 11, all the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So this isn't a normal marriage. This isn't a marriage where you can just go and talk to your husband anytime you want. This isn't a marriage where you see your husband every day. She hadn't seen him for a month and she wasn't supposed to see him unless he calls for her. Now at this point, Esther has a choice. She can use her favor or she can choose the easy way out and do nothing. Verse 13, Mordecai sent this reply to her. Don't think for a moment that because you in the, that you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Which brings us to the first lesson that we need to learn from this story. And that's the, is that if you don't use your favor for his glory and his purpose, he'll use someone else. God doesn't have to use us. He doesn't have to use us. I mean, there are plenty of people willing for people, plenty of people willing to, to, to be used of God and, and use the favor that God has given them for him. Now, God gives favor to certain people. He gives favor really to any of us that know his son is our personal savior. For those of us that are trying to live a righteous life according to his word, and understand, I'm not saying that we're perfect. I'm not saying we're, we're sinless, we're, but we're trying. We're, we're trying to live righteously. And then also to those that he can trust. If he gives you with favor, if he gives you gifts, he wants to be able to trust you with what he gives you. And God gives us favor and gives, us those, gives those of us favor who aren't gonna be afraid to use it for him and his cause. Now think about this. You might be a student right now. Maybe you're in elementary school. Maybe you're a middle school or a high school or maybe you're going into college and God has given you or blessed you with some kind of favor. Maybe it's sports. Maybe you're, you're just super talented athletically. Maybe you're super talented musically or maybe with academics or maybe with leadership. He trusted you with this favor. Now, are you gonna use it the way he wants you to? There's a young man that I knew that watched, I watched grow up and this, this kid just had like God's blessing on him. He's super talented. He, he was a great athlete. He, he was an incredible musician um, and he was a gorgeous kid, like just beautiful. He had everything going for him. And he's, he was raised here uh, in, in the Valley. He was very, very blessed. <coughs> and he used those blessings the right way. But then one day he decided he was going to go away. He was going to get an education and he went to a super liberal state. 
And as a result, when he went there, he allowed culture to start speaking to him, start speaking lies instead of the truth. Started to doubt his faith in God. He started to doubt his relationship with Jesus to a point where he eventually just turned away from God. And he started using all of his gifts and his talents completely for himself. He then, after that, lost everything. Everything that he had, every blessing that he had had, he lost. And it's because he chose to take what God gave him and use it selfishly instead of using it for the Lord. Now understand, when God gives you something, he gives you a gift, he gives you a blessing, it doesn't mean that you're not supposed to be able to be blessed in that situation too. <coughs> it doesn't mean that, <clears throat> sorry, it doesn't mean that he doesn't want to make sure that you, you have a good income, that you have a good job, that you have a good home, that you have nice things to drive. It doesn't mean that, but he, but he wants to see that what you give him, you use for him too. And you could be a pro football player. You could throw for the football for 50,000 yards in a career, but it doesn't matter if the guy that you've been throwing all those passes to, the one that you have influence with, dies and goes to hell because you never told him about Jesus. Maybe you're gifted with leadership skills or, or you have intellectual resources. Maybe you're really, really good on computers or you may hold public office. You may be blessed with finances, but what are you doing with them? Are you just using that leadership gift to, gift to, to build yourself success, a successful business? Are you, are you just using that financial favor for yourself? In the New Testament, Jesus gives a parable about three men that were, were given money one buried it, didn't invest it, didn't do anything with it. The other two did something with it. To those he could trust, he gave more, but to those he couldn't, he quit giving. <coughs> he just quit giving. To those he can trust, he gives more. To those he can't, he stops giving. Now, there isn't a better example of this in the Bible than the story of Samson. And back a few months ago, when we did uh, the, the series on... Um, all these different characters in the Bible, we, we talked about Samson. We talked about his life. We talked about everything he was given. He was so blessed. I mean, he had strength. He had great uh, charisma. He was, he was a beautiful, per, beautiful man. He, he, he had all the power of Israel, and yet he used it for girls. He used it to get girls. And, and God gave him that gift so that he could lead Israel, so that... <laughs> so that he could be uh, the man that led Israel out of the issues that they were having, but he misused it. I'm sorry, I got to take a drink here. I've been fighting something all week. That's water, by the way. <laughs> I raised two girls, so you might ask that question. <clears throat> I have a best friend that I grew up with in high school, and he, I just have a great relationship with him. And uh, he had four kids. He had a, a, a little boy. And then, uh, like, three years later, his wife had triplets. So pray for him. <laughs> and his kids are beautiful. They are beautiful. They are gorgeous kids. Beautiful on the inside, beautiful on the out. And uh, uh, last year, <coughs> he sent me this picture of his daughter, who was a senior, um, I don't know if that's going to help or not. Try it. Yeah. The vodka didn't help, so maybe I'll try it. <laughs> Guess I'm not supposed to have that either. 
Three second roll. <laughs> That's right where Amanda uh, stands most of the time. I trust her. I trust her. <laughs> so, so, so he sends me his daughter's senior pictures. She is, like I said, she's beautiful. And I call him. I'm like, Jay, I got your picture of your daughter. I said, man, Bree is so pretty. I said, you're in so much trouble. I said, uh, you need to watch her. And he, he goes, I know, I know. I said, does she just have guys hitting on her all the time? He goes, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. He goes, in fact, you know what? I want you to talk to her. I want her to, to tell you about what she does when guys hit on her. And I was like, okay. So she gets on the phone and we start talking. She goes, I, I go, hey, you, you turned out to be such a beautiful person on the inside and out. I know, you got guys. They're just trying to, to date you all the time. I said, how do you handle that? She goes, I just use it. I'm like, what do you mean you use it? And she goes, well, when a guy comes up and he has a line for me or he's, he's trying to pick me up, I just tell him, hey, look, it's, you know, you seem like a good person, but, but the truth is I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you want to have a relationship with me, you have to have a relationship with him. And so God blessed this teenager with beauty, with all of these gifts. And she says, I'm not going to date anybody that doesn't know my Savior. And so she uses that as a witnessing tool. What a beautiful thing. Well, the fact of the matter is, if you've been given favor, gifts, talents, so maybe you've given, you obviously have been given them for a reason, which is the second point of the story. If you have favor, there is a reason for it. There's a reason for it. He wants to be able to use you as a tool for a greater cause. Look at the second part of this verse. Mordecai says, the best line of the whole book. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. I think Mordecai had figured out why his little cousin became queen. And many times influence follows favor. And if you are favored, chances are you've given, you, you, uh, you have influence and influence is so, such a valuable commodity for the kingdom's work. Without it, you really can't lead anyone to the Lord. If you don't have influence with someone, it's hard to talk to them about Jesus. Chances are you won't be listened to, but once you have that influence, everything changes. I remember in Bible college, one of the things that we did is on a Friday night, we would load up this uh, bus and we would go to, Battlefield Mall in Springfield, Missouri. And we would go into the mall and, and we would witness to people and tell them about Jesus. And you might think, oh, well, that, how cool. That's, that's really, really cool. It, does, it doesn't work. It, it didn't work. And the reason it doesn't work and the reason why door-to-door witnessing doesn't work is because you don't have any influence with that person. They don't know you. Why would they trust you? Why would they trust you with their spirit? Why would they do that? And most of the people we would approach would be like, hey, look, I'm going to Sears. You know, I don't, I don't want to talk to you right now. But once you have influence with somebody, that all changes. You have influence for a reason. Verse 15, I love this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and, and, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or, night or day. And my maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. Which is point three. 
we have to enlist others in our fight. The strongest allies that you can have are the ones that will pray for you. And so when God calls you to do something or you go through a tough time, you should be calling your friends. You should be calling your, your pastors, your leaders and say, pray for me. Pray for me. This is, this is happening. I'm going through this. Pray for me. Would you fast for me? We have a prayer book here at Fellowship where when you call in and you give us a prayer, uh, a prayer request or you do so at the information counter, it goes in this massive prayer book. And we have people that come in throughout the week and they pray for you. They pray for that request. And then we, we write you a card and let you know that we're praying for you. And then ask when, you, uh, when, when something changes, when, when, when God answers your prayer, just tell us so we can update this book. And this book is like this thick and it gets emptied all the time because the binder is, is too small to hold all the answered prayers that have happened here at Fellowship through the years. It, it works. <laughs> Prayer works. Esther knew that if she was gonna go before the king, she needed all the backup she could get. Pray for me, fast for me. And then number four, she used her favor for God no matter what the cost. No matter what the cost. And the next part or her next words in, in verse 16 are, if I must die, I must die. If I must die to save my race, I will die. When you know you're supposed to do something for the Lord, don't mess around. Go after it with everything you've got. Esther then decides, I'm going to go to the king, and, and she has people praying for her. And you know they're praying, God, soften the heart of the king. God, give Esther the words to know what to say. God, give her favor. Give her your protection. And this was such a big deal that this was happening because she was going for the, the very person and breaking a law where she could die. She could do that, and it could be a death sentence. Chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day of the fast... Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace, just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and held out the gold scepter to her. So Esther approached and touched the end of that scepter. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful moment, especially when you understand what that, what that means for us. The psalmist writes about the fact that for us to enter into God's courts, we must also have the scepter. But the psalmist says that our scepter is worship. So we don't have to wait for a certain time of the month. We don't have to wait for our God or our King to call us. It says in scripture, all we have to do is worship him. And then that is the scepter in which we can come into his presence. That's why every service we start off with worship. We start off with singing songs to him and praising him with, with vocals and with, with, with instruments because we need to come into his presence and that is the quickest way to do it. Verse three says, then the king asked her, what do you want, Queen Esther? What, 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 is, there, what is your request? I'll, I'll, give, I'll give it to you, even if it's half the kingdom. He loved her. Now, have you ever seen that before? Have you, ever, have you ever been put in a situation that should have erupted, but instead there was this total peace and cooperation that God just gave you favor and you were just absolutely blown away in that situation? That's what happens here. 
The king should have killed her for doing this, but instead he offered her half the kingdom. That's the way God works. You think this is going to happen, but the truth is, is I'm just going to bless your socks off. That's what he, that's what he says. That's, that's what he does for us. He loved Esther. He loved his people, but, but he loves us too. Now, when you see this part of the scripture, you might think, oh, that's really cool. That is super sweet of the king. And man, Xerxes is a good guy. But have you ever thought that maybe the devil was trying to distract Esther? Maybe that was his last ditch effort. Know that if God ever asks you to do something and you start to do it, he's going to try to distract you with something. It would have been very easy for Esther to go, oh, uh, uh, you're going to give me half the kingdom? Uh, yeah, I, I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, I, I, you know, something about, well, so you're going to give me half the kingdom? That's the way the devil works. But Esther holds her ground. She holds the course. And God gives her the wisdom of when to ask too. Because timing is everything, right? Timing, timing and decisions is everything. And if we get impatient, we can force our timing instead of God's. So Esther asks Xerxes to have dinner with herself and she decides to invite Haman as well on the next night. Meanwhile, Haman decides he's going to ask the king to kill Mordecai. I just love this part. Love it. Esther chapter 6. That night, so, so they have this conversation. He goes, sure, I'll have dinner with you. We'll, we'll, we'll meet tomorrow night. We'll, we'll have dinner. Yeah, bring Haman. I'm fine with that. Then he goes to bed, but he has trouble sleeping. Now, if you're ever having a hard time sleeping, it could be because God is trying to tell you something. So, if, uh, so, so he decides, you know what? Uh, in, in verse 1, I, I'm going to order my attendants to bring the book of the history of, of my own reign so it can be read to me. So he could be doing that just so that he could see that, that he has favor in his life. He could have been doing that because he was super prideful and he just wanted to, uh, uh, to brag on himself or listen to somebody else brag on himself. Or maybe he's lived such a boring life, he figures it's going to put him to sleep. I don't know. But as this is being read to him, he finds out that Mordecai, this cousin of Esther, had discovered a plot to murder the king and exposed it. He realizes that. And then he says, what reward or recognition did we ever give Mordecai for this? The king asked. And his attendants replied, nothing has, has been done for him. Who is that in the outer court? The king inquired. So here's somebody in the outer court. He says, who is that? As it happened, Haman had just arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king to impale Mordecai on the pole that he had prepared. So Haman gets this big stick, 75 feet tall, makes it super, super sharp on top of the, uh, on top. And he's going to stick it. He wants to stick it in his courtyard and stick Mordecai on it. He wants to turn Mordecai into a popsicle in his front yard. And he's going to the king to get permission. So uh, 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 he's, he happens to be there. And the king says uh, uh, to the attendants, hey, have him come in. Have him come in. Bring him in, the king ordered. So Haman came in and the king said, because he's talking to his buddy, what should I do to honor a man who, who truly pleases me? Scripture says, Haman thought to himself, whom would the king wish to honor more than me? 
So he replied, if the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes as well as horses that the king himself has ridden, one with a royal emblem on its head. Let the robes and the, uh, and the horse be handed over to the one, of the one of the king's most noble officials. Let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robes and led through the city square on the king's horse. Have the official shout as they go, this is what the, Lord, the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Excellent, the king says to Haman. Quick, take the robes and all and my horse and do just as you said for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the gate of the palace. Leave out nothing that you suggested. Isn't that awesome? That is awesome. So Haman took the robes and put them on Mordecai placed him on the king's own horse and led him through the city square shouting. And don't you know, he was like, this is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the palace gate, but Haman hurried home, dejected and completely humiliated. Oh man, love that. Now, when Haman told his wife, Zeresh, which I'll just be honest with you, if I was Haman, I wouldn't have told anybody about that. But he tells his wife, and all his friends, what had happened? His wise advisors and his wife said, since Mordecai, this man who has humiliated you, is of the Jewish birth, you'll never succeed in your plans against him. It will be fatal to continue opposing him. Now, why would they say that? They say that because they've read the history books. They know how God has always taken care of his people. And they know if he wants to pick a fight with Mordecai, he's probably picking a fight with God as well. Verse 14, while they were still talking, the king's eunuchs arrived and quickly took Haman to the banquet Esther had prepared. So funny. Now watch what happens next. Esther, uh, Esther chapter 7. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. So they show up. Hey, Haman, you got to come. Yeah, you're, invited to, you're invited to a party. You're invited to a dinner. You need to come on. On this second occasion, while they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, tell me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your request? And today it'd be like, hey, baby, baby, just baby, tell me what you want. Just tell me what you want. What is your request? I'll give it to you. Even if it's half the kingdom. And she says, filled with the spirit, people have been praying for her. She has all the right words. The timing is perfect. She says, if I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people be spared. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had merely been sold as slaves, I would remain quiet, for that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. Who would do such a thing, right? Could you imagine somebody coming to you and saying, hey, just so you know, somebody's trying to kill your wife. As a husband, you're like, who? Who would do that? Who would, come, who, who would dare try to touch my wife? Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you, he says. Esther replied, this wicked Haman sitting here is our adversary and our enemy. Haman grew pale, of course, with fright before the king and queen. Then the king jumped to his feet in a rage and went out into the palace garden. Haman, however, stayed behind to plead for his life with Queen Esther, for he knew that the king intended to kill him. So he's busted. He goes to her. 
he falls to her in despair. He fell uh, uh, on the couch where Queen Esther was reaching, reclining, just as the king was returning from the palace garden. King walks in, perfect moment for Esther, worst, uh, worst moment for Haman. He's fallen into her. So the king thinks, what the, is he, is he assaulting her? Will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my eyes? And as soon as the king spoke, his attendants covered Haman's face, signaling his doom. Then Horbanah, one of the king's eunuchs said, Haman has set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall in his own courtyard. He intends to use it to impale Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination. Oh, it's all unraveling. <laughs> this is the king's response. Then impale Haman on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai and the king's anger subsided. Let me tell you something. When you plot against God's anointed, you better watch out because he may carry out those very plans on you. And that's what happens to Haman. Chapter eight, verse one, on that same day, King Xerxes gave the property of Haman, the enemy of the Jews to Queen Esther. Isn't that amazing? It's like, well, you know, he's up on a stick. He's not going to use the property. You might as well give it to the queen. Which comes to point five, which brings us to point five, which is God will always bless you when you use the favor he gave you for him. Think about it. If Esther wouldn't have done what she was supposed to do, she wouldn't have been blessed. She wouldn't have had all that, that extra blessing come into her life, but she stayed faithful. Chapter eight, verse 1b and 2, then Mordecai was brought before the king. So the cousin comes in, the, 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 the adopted father comes in. For Esther had told the king how they were related. The king took off his signet ring. That's the big deal. When a king gives you his ring, he gives you all of his privilege, which he had taken back from Haman and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai to be in charge of Haman's property. That's just the way God works. He loves you. He will vindicate you. He will fight battles for you if you just stand or cover, if you just stand or his authority, if you just do what he asks you to do. And then number six, the, the sixth thing we can learn from this, this, this story, and truthfully, there's so many more than this. It's not an exhaustive list, is that favor always trickles down. God never overlooks those that are faithful with the things that he gives them. And the favor trickled from the king to the queen to Mordecai and then to the entire Jewish race. And when you stay close to God, when you stay in his will, when you watch the, when you watch, when you just watch that favor that will come from your authority, those that have been been trusted with you. Those are, that are, those are over you. What, the, the spiritual leaders in your life, you can watch that favor flow from them to you. And there's nothing better than God's favor. There's nothing better than his blessing. We sang a worship song this morning, a new one, and the lyrics say, I hear your call. I am available. What's he calling you to this morning? Maybe he's been calling you to it for a long time, but you just haven't listened or you just haven't felt worthy or, 
or, or just come up with a million excuses of why you might not do what he's asking you to do. But he may have called you for a time such as this. You know, we talk about the fact that we're, we're living in the end times here. We don't have a lot, a lot of time left on this planet. And now more than ever, we really have to search for what God has put you on this planet for. He made you with a purpose. He gave you gifts. He gave you talents. He gave you favor. He gave you influence. Now are you using that for him? Yes, let that bless your life, but also let it bless the kingdom. So as you bow your heads with me this morning, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would touch each and every one of us, that you would show us what you would have us to do. Help us to be so sensitive to your call. Help us to hear your voice and help us to be obedient. We don't wanna reject your plan for us and you give that plan to somebody else. Help us have the strength to follow your will. And we know, Lord God, if we will, you'll bless us, you'll take care of us. Give us the strength to hear your call. Give us your strength to take the things that you've given us and use them for your kingdom. Give us opportunities to witness, give us opportunities to teach, give us opportunities to serve. Give us opportunity to use what you've given us for you. And we know as we praise you, we get to come into your very presence. And you will bless us. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this story. Help us, Lord, to have this ignite in us, the desire to, to learn about your word. And help us as we go through this journey together over the next several weeks. You bless us like only you can. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Don't miss next week. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you can do this right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life, and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this, in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, we would love to celebrate with you. Please text us at heaven and 94,000 to get in contact with one of our staff where we can answer any questions that you may have.
Also, if you're in need of prayer, we would love to support you. You could submit your prayer requests by texting prayer support to 94000 as well. Our prayer team will receive your request and immediately start covering you. If this was your first time experiencing Fellowship Church, or if you want to learn more about one of our many ministries, you can text Fellowship to 94000 to connect with our staff. As always, we are still just a phone call away. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY with any questions. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week in person or online.